Welcome to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast, featuring sermons given at our church and community center located in the Lincoln Estates neighborhood in Gainesville, Florida. If you find these messages beneficial, if you're part of our community, or if you want to help support the services we're providing to Southeast Gainesville, you can text the word GIVE to 352-562-7771 to make tax-deductible donations. Here's this week's message. Back to Mike now for the rest of the service. Love you guys. Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? I think you can hear me. If you can't hear me, somebody send me a text message right now, and I'll get it in like 10 seconds and fix things. Uh, I'm hoping all the technical difficulties were on the front end for me this morning, and and we can and we can roll through uh, unimpeded from this point forward. But whatever comes, the grace of God will sustain us. Amen. I'm going to assume that you said amen. Text amen into the Facebook thread. <laughs> uh, for those of you who may be joining us who don't know, um, my name is Mike Rayburn. I'm the lead pastor here at Gainesville Vineyard, along with my wife, Amy, who is not here. She's somewhere keeping the kids from making so much noise that you can't hear a word I'm saying. Um, we're glad you're tuning in and watching our live stream service. I've got a few announcements, and then I'll get into today's message. The first announcement is that uh, we are live streaming only uh, through the month of June. Uh, we've taken to making month-to-month decisions since the pandemic started. We haven't made a decision about July yet, but we will uh, in the next week or so. We'll let you know. But there are no meetings in our building through the month of June, and we'll go from there. Um, so through the month of June at least, and probably for a lot longer, we're going to continue these Zoom groups that we've started. We call them stay-home groups because uh, I like clever things like that. And if you're not participating in one, you really should be. I'm getting really great reports from those people that are uh, attending them. There's a lot of good content, a lot of good fellowship, good prayer. Uh, people are, are experiencing re- um, answered prayers from prayer requests they've made in the in the small group. So if you're not part of a stay-home group and you'd like to be, send me an email and I'll connect you with leaders of those groups and they can give you an invitation. Uh, it is a safe space. Even though it's on Zoom, it's, it's locked and it's private and you can share with friends there what's going on in your life. So that's a really good thing to do. The other announcement I have is that starting next Sunday, we're going to have an anti-racism workshop. This is going to be a series of Zoom meetings that are going to happen on Sunday afternoons, 5 to 7 p.m. There are some reading, there's some videos to watch, and I'll be posting more about that in our Facebook group. In fact, here's the beauty of live technology. I want you to sign up for the workshop because if you start, I want you to start it and go all the way through it. And so I'm going to send a message right now to the Facebook group. There it goes. So if you will go and sign up and let me know that you plan to participate in the anti-racism workshops, uh, that would be great. Uh, This needs to be a thing where you don't drop out and drop in. You need to kind of go through the whole thing. And this is going to become an integral part of our leadership training uh, at Gainesville Vineyard. So if you want to be in leadership or if you are in leadership, if you want to serve in any capacity, we're going to ask you to go through um, this training. So that's going to become a regular part of our community. So go ahead and jump on board. I'm hoping a lot of you will sign up. There's room for plenty. So sign up for that today. It starts next Sunday. The readings are not owners. They're beautiful and lovely, and you will get a lot out of them, I promise. Uh, Only other thing I have to say is giving. Thank you so much to everyone who's continuing to give to our church. Um, 
we really appreciate that. Everyone's been really faithful, and that's really honoring to us. Uh, we feel very, very uh, blessed and grateful for the generosity of our community. Uh, if you need to know how to give, you can text the word GIVE to the number on the screen. You can also go to our website and click on the Give button in the upper right-hand corner and give that way. And if you want to mail a physical check, you can mail it to that P.O. box that's on the screen as well. And I'm not going to pause because, you know, you could just pause the video, right? Even if it's live. Can you pause live video? If you pause live video, is it still live video? Um, questions. So there we go. So uh, thank you for everyone who gives. And I'm going to jump on into today's message. Um, and before I do that, well, as I'm starting to do that, this is we can consider this part of the sermon. There we go. Um, we finished our Pentecost series last week, and we're starting up our summer series. And when the lead team talked last fall about what we wanted to do this summer, remember we uh, we made some changes to how we were doing things last fall. Uh, two things we talked about doing that we were planning to do, and that I've been preparing to do uh, for months now, were one to sow our, our our core values back into folks. Some of you are new to our church, you're new to Vineyard. And you may not know all the things we do or why we do them and how it goes. And so we thought it'd be really good to rehearse those things like the prayer model and, and how we think about things and how we go about our business um, for those who don't know and for those who know so well that they forgot. So one of the things we wanted to do this summer was to do some 101 training. Like, here's who we are. Here's how we think about things. Here's how we go about things. These are our core practices. Um, the other thing we wanted to talk about was racism and specifically anti-racism and how to go about the work we're doing. It's no secret that we are a predominantly white congregation who two years ago bought a parcel of property in Lincoln Estates and moved into a predominantly historically African-American neighborhood. And two years later, we're still a predominantly white congregation because slow work is, is what it takes to do the work we're doing. Um, but as we're starting to move uh into deep relationship with folks in our neighborhood, in our community, it seemed important that we begin to talk about uh, white privilege and whiteness and racism and confront some of these things head on that don't often get talked about. And so I don't want you to think that the anti-racism workshop is a knee-jerk reaction that we've had to the recent events. Um, it's not. We've been planning this for a while, and we knew that we would have to do this work. Someone's texting me. Oh. Thank you. Thank you for saying amen. <laughs> um, we knew we would have to do this work. And we know that this is slow work. And I, I posted this morning on Facebook, thorough work is always slow work. It takes time to do the things we're doing. We're not trying to instill a program. We're not trying to come in and, and, and save everyone. We're trying to build relationships. We're trying to build community. And there's no way to do that other than to do the slow work of doing it. And as you know, we spent about the first 10 months or a year just refurbishing the space. And for a long time, remember we met in what we called phase one, the community center, and there wasn't room for any more people. So <laughs> we didn't invite anyone because there was no space to put them. Um, and now we've got a bit more space, and but now we've got the coronavirus. So we know that this season is going to pass and we're going to resume activities at the bridge campus, you know, at some point in the future. And when that comes, we need to be ready for it. And so the two things we want to do this summer is rig, go over again um, who we are, what we're about, and we also want to educate ourselves on the issue of race 
and why it is that we're a predominantly white congregation and why it is that Lincoln Estates is a predominantly African-American community, neighborhood, and what it is for those two things to come together and what it might look like for us to become blessed community uh, with our neighbors there. So um, the anti-racism workshops that start next week are going to handle um, the, the second part of our plans for the summer, tackling racism and white privilege and, and educating ourselves and dealing with that. Because it's our work to educate ourselves and deal with that. The other part, instilling our values, I'm going to tackle that here uh, in our Sunday live stream services. And I'm going to do that, I think, primarily through chapter four of the Gospel of John. At least that's where we're going to start. We're going to go back to John, where we had been in before uh, the Lent and Easter series. And there's so much in this chapter, I think we're going to go really slow. So I just want to read to you um, the first nine verses of John chapter 4. Okay, you can read along if you've got a Bible or a device with the Bible app. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. But Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? (coughs) Speaking of which, I need one now. And that's where we're going to stop for today. (coughs) Excuse me. We'll have more to say about this chapter in the coming weeks. But there are two things I want to focus on in this story today. Um, and, and I think they're really important to us instill a couple of our core values about who we understand ourselves to be as followers of Jesus and how, as, as Gainesville Vineyard folk, we go about our business when we're going about our business well. And the first is this statement, he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. I want to talk about that for a minute. Um, and, and I read several commentaries about this, and there's there's, there's kind of a uh, pretty equal divide. <coughs> Some commentaries like Boltmans um, just say, well, no, this is just a practical decision. It was a shorter distance to go straight through Samaria. Jesus didn't want to walk around. And that's all there is to this, and you can't make anything else about it. It's true that it's a shorter distance to walk straight through from Judea to Galilee, from Jerusalem up to Galilee. If you go through Samaria. That's that's true. Uh, it's also true that Jews did not do that. Um, Jews would walk around to the east to avoid going through Samaria. They did not go through Samaria at all. So this is not simply a practical decision. He didn't have to go through Samaria because like, there was road construction to the east. Um, he could have walked around. That's what Jews typically did was they walked around. Um, and then a lot of commentaries who understand that that's true so, well, no, this is a spiritual reason. Jesus is obeying the Holy Spirit. This is, a, this is a command. Jesus had to go through Samaria because he was doing what the Father told him to do through the Spirit, and that's why he had to go through Samaria. And that's true. And that's, that's one of the overall themes of the Gospel of John, which is part of 
who we understand ourselves to be as well as followers of Jesus, is we always want to be about what the Father is doing. We always want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and obey the nudges that we get, because that's the direction that we feel like the Spirit is sending us. That's the work that God is up to. So yes, this is a spiritual had to. Jesus had to go through Samaria because the Spirit told him to go through Samaria, because this is what the Father wanted him to do. So I agree with that. But it's not that simple. It's not just a practical or spiritual decision to be made. That's not the only consideration here. And it's not the primary consideration that the text draws us to. The text goes on to tell us that this is where Jacob's well was. This land had historical meaning. And the writer of this gospel wants us to think not just about spiritual terms and practical terms. Uh, The writer of the gospel wants us to think in historical terms. There's a history here. There's a history to this land. There's a history to these people. There's a history to the Jews and the Samaritans and the relationship between them. And so just to rehearse that for you, um, when Israel was one nation back in the reigns of uh, Saul, David, and Solomon, uh, they split into two uh, after Solomon died. And you have the northern kingdom, which was called Israel, and Jeroboam was the first king of that one. And then you have the southern kingdom, Judah, which Rehoboam was the first king of that. Uh, and that went on for some years. And then eventually in 700 BC, around 700 BC, the Assyrians came and took away the northern kingdom, took all those people into captivity. Well, not all of them. They took most of them into captivity. And what empires did, and the Assyrians did this, and then the Babylonians did it later, when they conquered a, 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 a nation, they would take most of those people, especially all the people of influence and power, and they would relocate them somewhere far away. And then they would take other places they had conquered, and they would re- relocate those people to that place. So they, were, they did a lot of people movement, a lot of people switching. And it was about you know maintaining control. It, it served their imperial ends to keep people discombobulated and from you know forming the ability to rise up and throw them off. So the Assyrians moved out most of the Israelites, most of the residents of the northern kingdom. And then they moved in some people from Mesopotamia, um, from the east. And then those people lived there, and they lived there together. So there were some remnant Israelites living there together with folks that the Assyrians had brought in. Now, note this. The people that the Assyrians brought in were also victims of the Assyrian Empire. They had been displaced from their home. They had been conquered as well. And then 100 or so years later, when Babylon conquered the southern kingdom, the Judahites, they took them into captivity to Babylon, and they did the same thing. They removed them. Uh, most of them, they left a few, and, and if you read Jeremiah, some of those went on to Egypt and died there. Um, but they left a few remnant there, and they also relocated some people. And so those people that lived there for uh, uh, over 170 years in the Northern Kingdom case, and then for 70 years in the case of the Judahites, those people kind of formed their own group. And these are the Samaritans. And they intermarried with each other, the people from outside that had moved in, the people that had stayed that were Israelites. They formed their own religion. They had their own version of the Ten Commandments. They worshipped on Mount Gerizim. Um, They had this whole thing. And so they were, to the minds of the Jewish people who came back from Babylon, they were quasi-Jewish. They were semi-Jewish. And so after the Persians conquered Babylon, they sent Judahites back um, to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, to rebuild the Israelite kingdom. And those folks, if you read this in Ezra and Nehemiah, Uh, they became very fierce about having nothing to do with the people that were there. Even though 
they were in some sense related, even though they had also been the victims of empire. You see in Ezra and Nehemiah um, clear racism against these people. Uh, the the people that returned from exile were forbidden to intermarry with these people. They wouldn't have anything to do with them. They wouldn't let them help rebuild the wall or help rebuild the temple. They wouldn't have anything to do with these folks. And that maintained itself until Jesus' day. And so when Jesus is standing on the edge of, of you know the southern part of Judea and deciding to walk north to Galilee, he has a choice. He can go straight through Samaria or he can walk to the east. Now, all of his fellow Jews walk to the east because they're not going through Samaria because they have been uh, discriminating against these people. They've been segregating from these people for hundreds of years at this point. They don't have anything to do with these folks, as the woman here says. And Jesus has um, not just a spiritual choice, not just a practical choice. He has a historical choice. He has a moral choice to make. And so if Jesus avoids going through there, he, he's avoiding that. He's avoiding the history. He's avoiding the reality. He's avoiding these people who are created in the image of God, who are beloved by God. He has come as the messenger of God's love, and he's going to walk around and avoid these people? Of course not. That would be sin for Jesus to do that, and Jesus doesn't do that. So Jesus had to go through Samaria because the Spirit told him to, and Jesus had to go through Samaria because to avoid Samaria would have been sin. It would be sin for him to avoid that. And as we've talked about before, Scripture is clear that when violence is done, the blood cries out from the ground. It's not reconciled until it's dealt with. And so Jesus has to deal with this. He has to go through Samaria. And so that's one of our values, is that we have to do the things the Spirit nudges. When the Spirit nudges us, we have to respond. We have to obey. And I was thinking about that this week as I was preparing for this message, because it's our third anniversary of when you guys asked Amy and I to be your pastors. And when we came down uh, in May of 2017, yes, 2017, it's all running together now. Um, we both had a clear sense after that weekend that this wasn't just an opportunity that we could say yes or no to. And some things are like that. Sometimes God just puts before you like, you can do this or you can do that. You can do this if you want to. You don't have to. That happens sometimes. But in this case, Amy and I felt like we have to do this. This is the Lord pushing us to do this. We have to go here. This is something we have to do. And it was the same thing two years ago when we bought the Old Boys and Girls Club in Lincoln Estates. We had been looking for the first year that we were here for where our new home would be because the Lord had led the lead team to sell the 8th Avenue property before y'all even hired us. And that was a good decision and the right decision. I firmly believe that. And so I spent the first year kind of driving around town and trying to figure out where we were going to go. And it was like looking for a needle in a haystack. But then the Lord brought us this property and it was clear from the jump, uh, I think to all of us, like we have to do this. And, and, and remember that like when we first saw it, it was in really bad shape. It really needed a lot of work and it took a lot of imagination to imagine it, you know, kind of the state it's in now. We still have a lot of work to do. Um, but we felt a real clear sense of like, this isn't just an opportunity we could pursue. This is something we have to do. This is a calling that we have to do. And this is one of our values is paying attention to the things we feel like we have to do. Now, that doesn't mean we have it all figured out. And I'll say more about that in just a minute. But let me just say right here, it doesn't mean we have it all figured out. It doesn't mean we know exactly how it's going to go. Far from it. It's never like that. 
Um, there's no indication here that Jesus knew he was going to meet this woman. He just walks until he gets tired, and then he stops. And that's the second thing I want to talk about. He sat down tired and thirsty. Jesus didn't go to the city and say, here I am. I'm your savior. Everyone follow me. He doesn't do any of that stuff. It's weird to think about this, but it's true. Jesus did not have a savior complex. And we'll talk about this in the, in the anti-racism workshop. But white savior complex is a serious problem. And it's a serious problem we have to avoid. And especially us doing the work with specifically that we're doing, we have to be aware of it and we have to avoid it. Um, Jesus didn't have a savior complex and he was the savior. So we need to not have a savior complex because we're not the savior. But he walks until he gets tired and then he sits down. He's tired. He's thirsty. He can't go any further. He just stops. He just stops and he waits. And he waits to see what will happen. And then this woman turns up and he talks to her. Because why wouldn't he talk to her? He talks to everyone. He's open to everyone. There's no one he won't talk to. There are no lines. We erase the lines, right? So he talks to the woman. And how does he talk to her? Again, he doesn't say, here I am. I am Jesus, your savior. I'm here to save you. No. He says, can you give me something to drink? I'm thirsty. I don't have anything to draw you know, water from this well from. He reaches out to her, not in his saviorness, not in his godness, not in his strength. He reaches out to her in his weakness. He reaches out to her in his need. He asks her for help. And it's not like he doesn't need her help. He does need her help. He's thirsty. He needs something to drink. He's still fully human. And so am I. All this talk about drinking, I think, is making me more thirsty. So he reaches out to her in his need and lets her minister to him. And then they have a conversation. We'll get into the rest of that next week. But this is another one of our values that I really want us to pay attention to. And in, in the vineyard, we, we call these divine appointments. And that might be overly religious language for you. And you don't have to use it if you don't want to. But this is this idea that when we go where we feel like we're supposed to go, it doesn't mean we have everything figured out. It just means that we trust that the Lord will show up and the Lord will bring people across our path and that'll be what we should do. And again, we don't go in like looking like you should never go in looking to save people. You should never go in with a sermon prepared to preach unless you're preaching a sermon on a Sunday. Um, But no, you should just relax and be yourself and be who you are and see how it develops, and trust that the Spirit will lead you, and lead them, and lead the conversation, and your goal is not to save anyone. Your goal is to become friends. Your goal is to build relationships. Your goal is to be as fully human as possible, and to allow the other person to be as fully human as they are, as we'll see when we get further on. So Jesus responds to her in his need, and this takes her aback, because again, Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. And so she's thinking, well, I've got my ladle here in my bucket for drawing water, but are you going to drink out of my ladle? Like Jews don't even, they walk miles and miles out of their way to avoid us. And here you are sitting by my well talking to me, and now you want to drink out of my cup? This is getting personal really quickly. And that's, that's, that's right, and that's good, and that's how we have to be. And that's the work that we're trying to do, not to save anyone other than to admit our own need and our own weakness. And that's why we're doing the anti-racism workshop. 
Because if you're a white person and you've grown up in this country, um, you've got some blind spots. You, you're, 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 we're, we are unwitting, hopefully unwilling, but nevertheless participants in a really messed up system, a system that is abusive, a system that is corrupt, a system that has been bad for a long time. I mean, obviously, slavery was bad. Hopefully, everyone agrees with that. Uh, Jim Crow was bad. Hopefully, everyone agrees with that. Um, but it's not just Jim Crow that was bad. Integration wound up being one of the worst things that happened to the African-American community. It, it destroyed a beautiful school right across the street from us. Lincoln School was this paragon of African-American education. And the integration that happened after the Civil Rights Movement just decimated that. So we have to understand, and we'll talk about this in the workshop, that these things keep happening. And even when things get better, our, our corrupt system finds a way to take what's even getting better and to pull it back to being worse again. So we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. We need help. And we need to educate ourselves. And so just like Jesus, Jesus models this for us. He's open about his need. He's open about his weakness. How much more should we be open about our need and our weakness? Because we're not Jesus. And we live in this society. We live in this culture that has a lot that's messed up about it. And so these are the conversations that we're going to have uh, this summer. But this is what I want you to focus on for this week here is is these two things. One, what is the Spirit telling you you have to do? And, and please understand, I don't want you to think about this and it, it, just put out of your mind ministry. Okay, just, just stop thinking on those terms. What is the Spirit nudging you to do? What is the Spirit telling you that you have to do? Because whatever it is, hopefully will benefit other people. I'm sure it will, because God is really clever at working things around. But it's also going to be for your development, for your maturity, for your sanctification, if we can use a very religious word. That's what this is all about, is us growing into the likeness of Christ. And so what the Spirit is nudging you to do is to follow Jesus here and like, you have to do this. I promise you there are things that the Spirit really wants you to do really badly. Are you doing those things? Are you listening to those conversations? Are you reading those books? Like, for example, not to meddle, but I'm going to meddle. Just last Sunday, I told all y'all to like calm down with the social media posts and, and do more listening than you were doing talking. And some of you didn't listen to me at all. Now, I know it's been another uh, week of, of stuff, but you got you to gotta slow down. You got to slow down your wokeness. You've got to listen. And all this social media posts and back and forth, they're not, this is not the work. This is not what's going to change things. The marches hopefully will draw attention, but the real work of changing things is the work that we're doing. And it's building relationships and it's building community. So again, I encourage you, tone it down on social media. Listen to people of color. Let them post. Share what they're posting. Okay? What else is the Spirit telling you that you have to do right now? That's a question I want you to ask yourself. What do you feel urged to do? If you don't feel the Spirit urging you to do anything, maybe ask why. 
And the second thing is this, is that I want us to pay attention to these divine appointments. And I don't really have a better word for it than that. But just like Jesus just goes and sits by the well and waits for something to happen. Do we do that? Do we just show up and wait for something to happen? When you're on a Zoom call for work, are you just paying attention to whatever it is the Spirit might want to do? I mean, I know it's a work thing and you're working, but like in the back of your mind, are you just like, well, God knows I'm in this meeting. Maybe maybe the Lord wants to say something through me, maybe about the work itself, maybe to someone on the side privately. Maybe someone will express pain that they're going through, and I can pick up on that and, and, and touch base with them later and see how they're doing. Or maybe the Spirit wants to do something in you and for you. So it's not just about doing for other people. It's about receiving what the Lord has for you. When you're listening to a song, when you're watching a show or a movie, is the, is the Spirit trying to say something to you? If you're watching things that are beautiful and true and good, then it's almost certainly the case that the, the Lord is filling you up with goodness and good things. And hopefully that's the case. So what do we have to do? What is the Spirit telling us we have to do? And are we paying attention for these divine appointments? These are two core values for us. This is how we go about our business um, as followers of Jesus and people in the vineyard. So I hope that makes sense. I'm trying to see if I've left anything out here. I don't think I have. So let's take communion, and then I want to pray, and, and then I'll let you go because it's getting about time. I hope you have something to eat and drink handy. If not, run, grab something. Again, I guess you can pause the live video and do that. Um, for bread today, I have a pecan, uh, the most delicious nuts that God created. Thank you for making this, Lord. And I have some Opus coffee. So um, for the bread, I want us to toast to the work that we have to do. As the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Jesus, there is work we have to do. And the body of Christ, the, the physical bread or whatever we're eating, this is the strength to do the work we have to do. We have to do this work, but it's not like we can do this work. Remember, we're doing this work in our weakness, not in our strength. So here's to the work that we have to do. And this is the cup. This is the cup of our weakness. Jesus models for us this by pouring out his blood, the ultimate expression of weakness. We don't do this in our strength. We don't do this as saviors. We do this as people embracing the love that God has for us. As the love of God grows in us, love for each other grows in us. So here's to our weakness. Here's to serving in our weakness. Here's to following Jesus in our weakness. Take the cup with me. I do hope you're praying about all the things that are going on. I sincerely believe that this is not anything other than a move of God. Just as the civil rights movement in this country in the 60s was a move of God. This is a move of God. I know it's messy and crazy and people are feeling it. There's a lot going on and it feels like the worst year ever. The Lord is up to something. And the Lord's been up to something for a while. And we want to participate in that. We want to find the good that the Lord has for us in it. 
and we want to find the good that the Lord has for those around us in this, as we build relationships and as we build community. So I encourage you this week to ask the Lord, what do you, what do I have to do? What do you want me to do right now? And I encourage you to ask for divine appointments and to pay attention for them. And when they come to just relax and sit down, just like Jesus, I want you to think about Jesus showing up. He is sent by God to have a conversation with this woman. And how he begins this conversation is like, whew, I'm tired. Can I have something to drink? That's a perfect way to start a conversation of life with a friend. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you don't come to us in a condescending way. Thank you that you don't come to us and overpower us, belittle us. You are very God of very God. And yet you come to us as a friend. You come to us as a servant. You come to us as one weak and in need. And oh, Jesus, if you could convey anything of your character to us, I ask you to convey that, that you would disabuse us of our capability, that you would remind us of our weakness, that we would let go of the illusion of our strength and the idolatry that we have to fix things. Lord, I pray your anointing over our anti-racism workshop. I pray you would open our minds and our hearts. That you would educate us. That we would sit at the feet of wonderful teachers and read what they have given us. That our hearts would be moved and our minds would be enlightened. That we would be truly educated. And better able to build loving, lasting relationships. Wonderful friendships across all these divisions that our culture tells us we can't have friendships across. Lord, I ask you for divine appointments for me and for everyone watching. Divine appointments that minister to us and minister to others. Divine appointments where we can be real and honest and authentic and human. And in doing so, find that That's what brings you glory, is us being real. That's what brings you honor, is us telling the truth. And that's what builds relationship, is us not putting on airs or hiding behind masks. Lord, communicate to us the things that we have to do. I'm so grateful that you told Amy and I that we had to come down here. I'm so grateful that you told us we had to buy the bridge. I'm so grateful for our community. I'm so grateful for Gainesville Vineyard and its long history of doing just this work, of just going where you tell us to go and showing up and seeing what you're doing. I pray we would never lose that humility. I pray we would never lose that openness to you and to every single beautiful person that you send across our path. May your love fill us. 
everyone we come in contact with. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in our community and in our country and in the world right now. Lord, bring healing from the coronavirus that everyone's still affected by. Bring an end to police violence in this country. Bring an end at last to the evil of racism that has plagued us since the founding, since before the founding of this country. May we hear the blood that cries out from the ground. And may we, like Jesus, refuse to walk around it, refuse to avoid it, refuse to pretend the history isn't what the history is. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these sweet people. Thank you for their openness and their willingness to follow you. In Jesus' name, I ask your blessings on each of them this week. Amen. Okay, sisters and brothers, I love you. Sign up for the anti-racism workshop. And I think that's all I have to say. I will talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast. For more information about our church and community center, including our food pantry, life skills training, legal aid, after school and sports programs, and international missions, and how to contact us, visit GainesvilleVineyard.org or find us on Facebook. Our page name is GN Vineyard. We also have original worship songs available on iTunes. Just search for Gainesville Vineyard. You can support the work we're doing by texting the word GIVE to 352-562-7771. All donations are tax deductible. We appreciate you listening to this message and pray the Spirit speaks directly to you through something you've heard today. God bless.